guys, I'm Amadal Yakbar, and this is See Something, Say Something, the BuzzFeed show where we drink chai, tell stories, and talk about being Muslim in America. Just to let you know, we were also nominated in the best host category for the Webbies, uh, which are sort of like, um, sort of sort of really cool internet award. Um, I don't know if I get anything. I think I get a statue, um, which would be really cool if I won. Um, you can vote for us by going to twitter.com slash see something. And there's a pinned tweet at the top, which you can click on. It'll take you directly to the voting page because the website is very confusing. Um, and you should vote for your boy. Uh, voting closes April 20th. This week we're going to be talking to Muna Haider, whose video hijabi you may have seen on your newsfeed. It features uh, Muna basically in hijab, pregnant, and rapping with a squad of Muslim women. Um, and, uh, you know, it caused a lot of conversation, um, both of, you know, support and people loving the joy of it and seeing a Muslim woman rapping, other people criticizing it for appropriation of black culture. And then, of course, there was just regular old sexist guys on the internet trolling the video and saying Muslim women shouldn't be rapping. So we're going to be talking about all of that with Muna. And then afterwards, we made a game called Did the English Steal This From Your People? Parentheses during colonialism. <laughs> um, so uh, we invited our favorite colonial-themed human meme, um, Kirin Rizvi, who you also may know as Gathasani, onto the show to play the game. Um, Muna Haider is a artist, poet, and graduate student at Union Theological Seminary. She's Syrian-American, originally from Flint, Michigan, and she lives here now in New York City. And full disclosure, uh, we're both Michigan expats to New York. Immigrants, migrants. Those words are all very weird. Hi, Muna. What's up? How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, I'm great. Uh, so, uh, Muna, on the show, we ask our guests uh, what they're thinking about this week, and there's been a lot going on. So I'm curious, what's been on your mind this week? Yeah, of course, with everything happening in the world right now in Egypt and Syria, that's been on my heart for sure. And then on a personal level, with the video coming out and causing the splash it caused, I think I didn't expect that. And so I've just been shook. Yeah. It's been a complicated couple of days, you know? Yeah, and super complex. It's been hard to know what to think, you know, with the intervention in, in Syria. It's just, like, so tragic. And and everybody thinks they know what the right options are. And it's just, it's not so clear, you know? It's definitely not clear. And I feel like that's where I live, is in that place of not knowing. Everybody has such a strong opinion. And I'm over here, like, you know, intervention sounds really bad. Terrible, and yeah. lack of intervention sounds really bad. Yep. So it's like, what is the right thing? Yeah. You know, it's so confusing. Yeah. And it must personally affect you as well. I'm sure you have family in Syria. Yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 It hits hard. Yeah. So in the song, you just rap a lot about what your interpretation of being a hijabi woman is you talk about microaggressions i guess um and then it's also about like sort of like solidarity and love between women and building a feminist planet which is one of the lyrics um and uh you know talking about the diversity of muslims so tell us about the song what what made you write it and what were you what was the thought process behind it 
Yeah, so I started recording uh, for this album probably a year and a half ago in Detroit at a studio um, called Assemble Sound with a producer named Tunde Alani Ron. And he's also from Flint, where I'm from. You, you know, he's just, everybody who hears his music is just like, why haven't I heard this before? Um, who is this? And yes, please. Our producer just told us that apparently he was on Another Round, and I'm a huge Another Round fangirl, and I'm really embarrassed that I didn't listen to that episode. I need to go and listen to it. And he sang on that episode, so I'm going to go listen to that after this and do some research. He's also just an amazing human being, but just so exciting to produce something that was really authentic to my experience Mm -hmm. personally. Um, And to talk about women and women's bodies, period, right now, I feel like People are into it, mm-hmm. you know, on either side of the conversation. People really like talking about women's bodies. Um, so, you know, we we decided to do a song about that. You know, all around the world, love women every shade. Like, I love women, you know, as a woman, I love women. And just to put that out into the universe, like, I'm there for it. And it's got that sort of distinctly Muslim thing of, like, in the song, you know, talking about the global Muslim community, which is like, a thing that white people find scary to t- think about, like the ummah, <laughs> like, or the idea of like the fact that all these people that are not bound by nation states, there is some connection perhaps. You know, it's hard to figure out what it is. Um, it's but family. it's real. Yeah. You know, it's real. It's like you can say salam to, you know, especially for like Muslim women, I'm sure it's very easy to say salam um, to, you know, another hijabi on the street and from any part of the world. Yeah, you can be familiar. It's family right away when it, when you see another Muslim. And, you know, we were talking about that in the song, but the song also addresses colorism. Right. Which is a big deal in a lot of our, like you were talking about, the global communities that we re- represent. Um, you know, it's a real problem. Um. I always knew you as a poet. When the video came out, I was like, oh, okay, she she raps. I did not know that. <laughs> but, like, you know, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. I talk about hip-hop a lot, but it, it really it was my first love. Uh-huh. You know, growing up, listening to most stuff, you know, I did an interview for Noisy, which is Vice's yeah, yeah. platform. Anyway, you know, they asked me how I was introduced to hip-hop. And I remember it vividly. My We spent some summers in Syria, in Damascus, mm-hmm. in my grandmother's house. And this one summer, it was me and my older sister, Maysan, and she had brought her... Shout out to Maysan. Shout out to Maysan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, uh, she had brought her CD player and a bunch of CDs yeah. that summer. And one of the CDs was um, Most Deaf, Black on Both Sides. And it was sort of my introduction to hip-hop. Of course, I'd heard other things before, but um, that was the first time I really spent time with an album. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, and really just devoured it. Um, we were stuck in Syria for I don't know how long, you know, and at that point in my life, like, it wasn't fun for me. I just missed eating cereal in the morning. Mm-hmm, I just, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted all my comforty stuff. So mm-hmm. being in Syria wasn't, like, necessarily the best time. But I had this music that she brought with her. And it wasn't stuff I'd ever ex- been exposed to before. And I, I remember the the feeling of actually falling in love just that like every time i i'd click the the cd player and press play i would sort of get butterflies when the intro would come on you know and he'd say bismillah you know every single album yeah and just like hearing that and feeling like not only does he speak my language he speaks my language culturally yeah, and yeah. and spiritually yeah. and and you know from a, from a place of like talking about what's relevant in the world and you know just being blown away and and like just 
actually falling in love. And so, yeah, that experience for me, it changed my life. You know, it's funny because my older sister also gave me two albums, which were very influential. One was um, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, which also is a rap album with lots of Muslim references. And the other was uh, Black on Both Sides. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) And I was like really into Black on Both Sides. And I also felt seen. And also, this is, I think, the Black Star song, but like just like understanding some cultural references in a way like when I would he- listen to American pop music I really just didn't relate to it at all yeah. you know I just didn't understand like wearing Abercrombie jeans or whatever you know I don't know <laughs> I'm starting to look at old man over here but you know there was like songs <laughs> like that I was like this doesn't appeal to me at all Yeah. Um, but like you know they would have lines like the prophet loves Khadija or whatever yes. and I was like oh okay like I actually know this what this means and what the history of this is and why yes. why it matters to the rappers and you know, it matters to me in a similar way. And, uh, yeah, it had a huge influence on me. And, like, I've talked about it before that I've had always had, like, that connection to most deaf as a way because I felt seen in the culture and felt spoken to and felt like I was also learning because, you know, there's a lot, obviously, I didn't know. There was, like, things I understood about what um, most deaf and, and, you know, to an extent, Talib Kweli were talking about. But there was also a lot of stuff I didn't know. You yes, know what I mean? Like, yes. um, yeah, I had, I had so, like, a similar relationship to that, yeah. to that album. Yeah. Just being able to see yourself in music, that was the first time that ever happened for me, for sure. Um, And then being welcomed by that Mm -hmm. community in Flint, you know, at least in the poetry scene. Being a poet of 13 years, a performance poet, you know, I've been writing poetry my whole life. Like, (laughs) my, my journals in kindergarten are full of poems, you know, but performing my poetry and learning how to do that, you know, that came from that community. Did you have any pushback in terms of, like, appropriation of rap as a form? Because I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, there's a long history of black Muslims participating in rap. And you got a lot of attention for this. Um, Did you face any criticism around that? You know, it's really interesting because I've been getting a lot of pushback Uh from the black Muslim community saying, you know, this is appropriation and, and, you know, why aren't the... The, the black Muslim sisters in the rap game getting as much, you know, um, visibility as you are with just your first video and this and that. And, you know, that that is it's problematic. Uh-huh. It's really problematic. Um, you know, I, I definitely understand the implications. You know, people have been asking questions like if I were black, would it have made as much of a splash? Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, the, the answer to that question is no, mm-hmm. um, because we live in a white supremacist world. We live in a world where blackness isn't valued as much as and, and that's what the whole song is about. Right? right. That's what the whole song is about. And, you know, it's super complex. And I'm definitely thinking about all of that. Right. But I don't know why it's happening, but I hope I can use my platform to write that. And that is an injustice. One of the things that I've really learned is that you have to give props where props are due. And, you know, as an artist, at least, I would be nothing and would be so incapable of expressing myself in the way that I do were it not for people in the black community who showed me how, you know, who gave me opportunities to stand up on stages and to speak my truth. Um, You know, and there's this amazing book called The New Muslim Cool. Who we're trying to book Dr. Suad. We Dr. actually Saad, have, her, yeah. have her on our docket when she comes by to New York. You know, she's amazing. The idea that Islam is an integral f- part of the fabric of this society. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot separate Islam from blackness. And you cannot separate 
blackness from hip hop and you cannot separate hip hop from Islam. You know, so it's a loop de loop. Yeah, there's it makes me think that, you know, there's this thing where Islam and hip hop and blackness have a really long relationship and a very intimate relationship with each other. Um, and that's very appealing to immigrant kids. Um, and it's also appealing to just pick up that art form and build on things and use it to express um, like different truths that, um, you know, maybe don't always pay respect to that history um, or that work that's been put in. And I know that's true in my life because so many of the brown boys I know love to rap. Um, and I'm not one of them, but uh, I know a lot of them. I think when there's a push or there's like some media attention or there's like, you know, a really quality track, um, I think the immigrant kids rec- get recognized for it because to a certain group of people, it feels new or it brings in a new, and it brings in a new audience as a result, even if like a lot of the work has already been done. Um, and maybe there's like a certain level of erasure there as well. I think that's why it made such a splash. Yeah. It's because I, I don't look like your typical, you know, hip hop artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think really, if I hadn't been pregnant in the video, I don't know that it would have made as big of a splash as it did, um, honestly. Um, and so I think it had a lot to do with that. So if women, you want tips on how to make your videos go far, I don't know, be pregnant in them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I think the other aspect of its success was like the brilliant video, which we haven't even talked about yet. You know, I think the big thing that is really, you know, amazing about it is you're pregnant the whole time. So in the video, you're surrounded by like a group of Muslim women, all hijabis, um, different cultural backgrounds, different shades like you've talked about. And everyone is just so badass. <laughs> you know, knowing you personally, I know you smile a lot in personal life, but the stone face game in that video is, you know, to- you're totally stone faced and serious. Basically, in all the video, you're almost always surrounded by your squad or, you know, you're, there's like a focus on, you know, your 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 pregnancy as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's always some community in all the shots. So tell us about the video. What was the thought process behind making it happen and like direct the artistic vision behind it? Yeah. So I was getting texts nonstop from my friends who'd heard the song, um, especially when the Muslim band came out and people were just like, you need to put this song out ASAP. Mm -hmm. And so we got our act together and we went out and we went to Detroit and we shot the video. Um, We were considering not even using me in the video Mm -hmm. um, because, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily true that I was going to be cleared to travel. Mm -hmm. Um, But once I got that clearance, it was obvious that um, the pregnancy was going to work to our benefit because the whole song is about women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, <laughs> the directors and the videographers kept being like, you know, rub your belly, like draw <laughs> really? attention to your belly. Uh-huh. You know, this is about life. Um, and so we we really wanted to play that up as much as possible. And, you know, the video was directed by mostly Tunde Alani Run, who is my producer. Um, and it was his first attempt at directing a video. It was his first time directing a video? Yeah. It looks really confident <laughs> for a first time director. I know, <laughs> I know. Pr- that's pretty the, amazing. That's the kind of artist he is. Yeah. Um, what about the w- uh, other women in the video? What was the casting like for that? Yeah, so we put out a call on social media saying, we're going to shoot this video, we want people to come out, um, and here's what we would like for you to wear. You know, so we didn't do any wardrobe, we didn't do any makeup, women just presented themselves the way that they wanted to, and that was intentional. We said, we want you to be comfortable, we want you to be happy, come out and be who you are, because that's what the song is about. Uh, The women being centered around me, and you know, the, the whole like, that's my crew, that's my gang. 
it was intentional. You know, like this is a supportive community. This is a community that, you know, where women can uplift one another. This is a community where, you know, a one woman's success is not another woman's failure. That's what this is about. What are some of the pushback you received? I'm sure a lot of it was very unfair, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure like, of course, anytime a Muslim puts something out, Islamophobes are going to, yeah. you know, like harass yeah. the hell out of you. But I want to also know what some of the response from the community was um, and how you dealt with that. Yeah. So Muslim men seem to have a really big problem with the fact <laughs> that I'm rubbing my belly. Mm. Um, and I don't really understand that. Like every human being came from a woman's belly. Um, and so if they have a problem with that, it, it strikes me as like just absurd and kind of strange. Like that's ajib. And if they have a problem with it, they should go speak to their mother or they should take <laughs> it to God. And I'm just not trying to hear that kind of stuff. Like if yeah. you have a problem, don't watch the video. Um, nobody's forcing you to watch my video, please. And like, you know, and like, why are you tagging all your homies on something you find so offensive? I'm like, great. Tag all your little hater friends. Ups my views. I'm cool. Um I think there's some lyrics that you could you could give to them. You already wrote it there. You know? <laughs> Make a feminist planet. Women haters get banished. That's right. Know? That's right. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Um, it also strikes me that the video is different than some of the older projects you did. Like one of the first things that I saw you do that gained a lot of traction is you and your hus- husband, Sebastian, um, did this thing in Cambridge where you basically like gave out donuts and drinks and uh, held a sign that said, Ask a Muslim, basically. Mm-hmm. And it became like the video, at least the first one I saw, I think was the AJ Plus video, which mm-hmm. got a lot of views. Um, and you would basically, you know, open yourself up to questioning from from anybody. Tell us a little bit about that. like, And then I want to talk a little bit about how that's like different from what this project is. That idea came from his brain. And for me, it was genius. Like growing up Muslim, um, especially as a hijabi, I never would have had that idea. Um, I never, you know, like I don't have the white privilege that he has, the this feelings of safety and security mm-hmm, in my mm-hmm. life um, walking around in the world where I could have been like, hey, uh, we should stand outside with targets on our heads basically saying we you know come and talk to me i'm a muslim like i already experienced that in my daily life whereas my my white blue-eyed husband doesn't um and so you know for him to have that idea and then for us to do it i think it was so remarkable for people um because it was so simple because it was so simple and stupid Mm -hmm. you know and silly in 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 a lot of ways it was it was really light you know we weren't like trying to change the world we were just giving out donuts and saying we're humans and you can come and talk to us if you want to Mm -hmm. um and ultimately a lot of those people didn't have questions people who came up to us they were just like oh hey what's up you know how's your day how's your life it was interesting to me because it was like um one thing that we always talk about here is like what how much do we care about changing people's minds I feel like the maybe the climate has changed in some ways with like the white supremacy becoming so much a part of our fabric. How much do we want to actually let people ask us things and put us in positions where we have to answer for things that like we might not want to? Yeah. You know, that, that, that's always my concern. You know, like more power to people who can do it and like a lot of power to you for, for yeah. being able to do it. But it's like it's difficult for me to, to think about like what's our strategy to fight back. Yeah. So if you notice in the song, there's lyrics to say, I need that PayPal if you want education. Yeah, that's kind of actually <laughs> one of the things I was going to point out. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> so that's, you know, pretty much a response to having to stand out there and talk to people. Um, 
like I'm not here to educate people unless I want to. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not people's right for me to educate them. And it's not my responsibility either. Right. And and in some sense, like, you know, if you're existing as a Muslim in America, you have those conversations. You know, you have that, can I ask you something moment, like, pretty often, you know, when you're surrounded by lots of people who probably don't fully understand what it means to be Muslim. So, yeah. yeah. And sometimes you can just be like, maybe I don't want to answer that right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I was doing a on-camera interview the other day, and this is after the song came out, and the woman who um, did the makeup, she was like, how long is your hair? And I was like, Ooh, are boy. you kidding me right now? <laughs> is this real? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, if I wanted you to know that, I wouldn't be dressed like this. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody actually asked you that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Has your feelings about this changed at all since Trump has gotten elected? Like being open to questions? I'm really capable of saying no. Mm-hmm. I also don't take anything personally. Um, but I've come to the place in my life where I I can honestly just look at somebody when they say something inappropriate. And instead of saying you're a bad person or how could you say that, I just say, I'm sorry, that's really inappropriate. That's always so difficult for me to do, honestly. <laughs> I'm so like, I'm just like. Oh. It's a learned skill. It is a learned skill. It's such a, like I've had to practice and practice. So what are your tips to like make people more uncomfortable uncom- and confident in dealing with, you know, those kind of microaggressions? What, how did you learn it? You know, yeah. how did you learn that? Practice, practice, you know, and, and really giving myself the agency and the power to just own my own body and to own my life. Like for me, hijab is all about that. It's about empowering a woman to say, I get to do what I want to do with my life. And that's nobody else's concern. I also wanted, I guess like I'm also curious because I didn't realize you were working on a, on a full album. What are, what are some other things that you're like writing about and thinking about in your, in your album? Yeah, so one of the songs for the album is called Dog. And it's about uh, men in positions of power in our communities who um, prey on young women. Mm. Um, and so that's going to... Yeah, people... sorry. I admit took a breath because just <laughs> knowing how common it is and how it hasn't been like publicized much at all. Like I know yeah. so many women who have experienced that yeah. from imams who have a lot of respect and yeah. get away with a lot of stuff yeah. that they shouldn't be getting away with. That's right. And nobody's talking about it. Um, And so the song is about how nobody's talking about it. These men are, you know, we we trust our children to them. And then they start acting this way. You know, it's just it's inconceivable. I wanted to do a song that sort of addressed that in a in a way that was (laughs) tasteful. I mean, the song is called Doug. So maybe it's not that (laughs) tasteful. (laughs) But, uh, you know. We, I wanted to do something that was just relevant and real while also maintaining an element of, like, light, lightheartedness, you know. Do you have any, any voices that you would want to amplify, any people that you would suggest listeners follow? Yeah, there's an amazing group in London called Poetic Pil- Pilgrimage, and they are dope MCs. And um, there's a woman in, out in California named Aliyah Sharif, and she, you know, she performed actually at the Women's March. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and and her music is just stellar, stellar. She is she is just an amazing lyricist, you know. And there there's so many others, um, but yeah, those are definitely three women who who you know need highlighting in the world. Not need highlighting, but you know their their skills right. are just so incredible. Uh, Muna, where can people find your work on the internet? 
Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the most Mona. You can find me on Twitter, Mona Haydad, um, Mona underscore Haydad. And you can find me on YouTube and Facebook and on my website, MonaHaydad.com. Cool. Yeah. So if you're into memes, you've probably already met Girin Rizvi and didn't even realize it because her meme was colonized and appropriated. Um, she uh, has this great like series of tweets she did where um, she was standing in front of a classroom and um, ranting about colonialism. And despite the fact that it was all about being a South Asian person who's bitter about colonialism, it was appropriated by all these accounts like Common White Girl as if they've experienced colonialism and they've experienced that that bitterness of colonialism. Um, and no, you haven't. So uh, we decided to invite Garen Rizvi onto the show, who is the person behind that meme, to tell us about the meme, tell us about the way her meme was colonized and appropriated, and then play a game of did the English steal this word from your people? Garen Rizvi is a freshman from New Jersey who currently studies at Rutgers. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thanks. And we've been uh, longtime mutuals. You're also, you're Gothistani on Twitter. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. Karen, like, what, about a year ago? Yeah, was that it was when, about a year ago. When you yeah. first had your viral internet stardom. Yes. Um, had this incredible, uh, like, series of tweets that all, every single one was basically, like, art, I feel like, <laughs> and changed the game and was just, like, ne- it was just next level. Um, can you tell us about that first set of three? It's based off of a school presentation you did um, in what class? In my AP art history class in high school, um, we were doing a unit on uh, art in the colonial Americas, and so... I was pretty bitter about colonialism, so <laughs> yeah, I um, first tweeted the conclusion of my PowerPoint, which said, in conclusion, I am bitter, without any context, really, and then it started gaining some traction on the internet. So uh, if you haven't seen Girin's amazing meme, the scene is this. Um, Girin is dressed in all black. She's draped in black. She's just a void of blackness. Um, And she's holding a yellow card in her hand like she's doing a presentation, very formally standing there. Um, And it's in a classroom, classic American classroom. There's like photos up top. There's stuff on the board. And there's a projector. And that's where the center of the frame is at. On the top, in all caps, it says, in conclusion. And then there's one bullet point, all in lower caps. And it says, I am bitter. Yeah. And then um, the next tweet I tweeted right after that, it was kind of like a thread. It was um, the crimes of like Western Europe and like imperialism or something like that. And it was a really tiny, like tiny font, long list. You can barely see what it says. And, um, and it says a brief list. Yes. A brief <laughs> but it's obviously not brief. Yeah. It's like there's like paragraphs upon paragraphs of text. Yeah. And there was, I mean, your presentation has many, many marks of good storytelling. There's irony. The fact that it's a brief list and it's not brief at all. It's like massive, which yeah. is, you know, shows how many crimes of imperial European imperialism 
uh, you know, South mm-hmm. Asian people at least have to deal with. It was, was it specifically about South Asia? No, it was about um, just throughout the world. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then the next one I tweeted um, was – so I was talking about colonialism in different parts of the world, like different continents and like regions like South Asia. And then um, the little picture I used to sum up uh, with that was my dad and with the quote said, on colonialism in South Asia, it sucked. And it was just a picture of him smiling, like, yep. kind of like thumbs up, it sucked. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and he's a real rad brown dad, looks like. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> Um, and so that blew up, and especially the in conclusion, I am bitter part, which uh, doesn't talk about like you can't tell that the presentation is about colonialism. Mm-hmm. Like, like it was used in a broader fashion, and you had some tweets about like how like the white parody <laughs> accounts uh, also took it uh, and like ran with it. Yeah, tell me about that. Like, how did that feel to like see like? <laughs> It felt like my tweet about colonialism was being colonized, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Like, literally. That's what those accounts do. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Twitter, there's all these accounts that just take what, like, a lot of times black Twitter, but Mm -hmm. also, like, lots of, you know, minority communities on the internet start with and they they get it gets vital within that community and then they have huge audiences and they just repost it without credit and get like huge amounts of traffic um so it's literally internet colonialism yeah especially like one of the names of the accounts was like common white girl and then she was like i relate to this so much and i was like common white girl relates to being bitter over imperialism i was like i don't think that really connects well it's also um kind of funny because like were you born in the states Yes. So you were born in the States. Same. And yet be- you having like America is your number one context, but you still hold this history that uh, you're from your parents, which yes. they took from their grandparents, mm-hmm. which they took from their grandparents. Like, you know, colonialism, you know, uh, ended in 1947 in the subcontinent. And for a lot, at least my parents, they didn't really experience it at all. It was their parents. But you still have that weight on you. <laughs> How did your dad like figure into making you into this person who's so bitter about <laughs> colonialism? Um, my parents are a little bit older than like what people my age like usually have their parents to be. So they have some, not really memories of colonialism, but um, they have a lot of angst about partition right. and how colonialism like caused partition and everything like that. Right. Where did they move from? Do they have any, like I'm assuming they had to move from India to, mm-hmm. pa- to, to Pakistan? Yeah, they were from Agra. So they would always talk about Agra being, like, this beautiful place. And then Uh they had to, like, move to Pakistan, Karachi specifically. And, um, like, they would always, like, talk about, like, the Kohinoor and, like, how um, basically, like, Britain stole everything from um, India and... I don't know. It just the largest on to diamond me. in the world. I know. Like literally, not what what better metaphor for colonialism is? You know, they took the most, some of the most precious things, and it's in the Queen's crown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so you knew that growing up. Like that's the kind of thing they told you growing up. Yeah. <laughs> you learned it all from them, like not from school as much. I remember in school, I was really surprised when we would learn about like partition, or like Western media kind of demonized like Muhammad Ali Jinnah a little bit, like. Yeah. Um, like making like Pakistan and like Muslims seem kind of bad for wanting partition because they would like kind of glorify Gandhi a little bit. And I just thought that was like interesting. Like it wasn't anything I would get really angry about, but I was just a little like confused because I, you know, had so much more like history and context like Mm -hmm. towards that like very complex event. It's interesting how something so personal when it becomes 
written as history in like in a third culture that also like in ways participated in colonialism as by being yeah. an ally of the British and like obviously the British used um, Indian soldiers for instance in World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like interesting. To, it, it was very strange to see it in the textbook as well. I had that same exact experience because Juno was like you know, like considered an icon in my house. And yeah. Do you feel like bitter about other things in your life? Like, is it just <laughs> the colonialism thing? Like, what's what is bitterness your your jam? Um, I I I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm just a, I'm kind of a bitter person. <laughs> that sounds really bad to say. I mean, own your truth. <laughs> yeah. Karen. Like, if you're bitter, you're bitter. Like, you know. Um. Yeah, I mean, among my friends, like my really close friends, it would kind of be like a a little personal, tiny meme between us. So when the I am bitter thing became big, it was just kind of like watching like a little baby grow up and go uh-huh. into the world. <laughs> Did it strike a nerve for, you think, people of color as well in a special, special way? Oh, for sure. Like, I think um, the reason that like the... In conclusion, I'm bitter. One was just popular, was just because teen angst and Twitter. Yeah. But um, I would see like a lot of tweets and reactions from people of color, like specifically like Muslims and like South Asian people, and they would tell me that um that it was something that they related to. That seeing this was really nice for them because like they would live in like majority white towns or something, and they wouldn't really see a lot of representation for like people of color, Pakistani people, or like. Muslim people or anything like that. So that was just really nice to see. I grew up with like MySpace and LiveJournal with like proto social media <laughs> where my audience was really small. Like I if I was getting a thousand, you know, people following me, it was like insane, you know, but that never happened. Um, whereas like the audience on Twitter is so huge now and you can actually make an influence and people see it. And it's strange to think like when I found another Pakistani person on MySpace, I was like, holy shit, there are Pakistani people on the <laughs> Internet. Like this is amazing. And I know people on the Internet still that I met on MySpace in 2005 in high school, you know, when uh, I was like a junior. And uh it like meant a lot to see other Pakistanis, but like you took it like this is like a next level thing. Like, and I also kind of felt that same swell of pride. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's so cool to see, uh, you know, like not only um, a Pakistani person in a like a meme, but also like sort of that specific attitude towards colonialism and the in, in like ingrained trauma that we all yeah. joke about. You know, um, and I think that's like. It's, it's, you know, it's moving the culture forward. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We have a game that we prepared for you, okay. which is all about colonialism. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> which is called, Did the English Steal This From Your People? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. This is amazing. <laughs> Which is a caveat. Let me let me make a caveat here, which is like um, this is these things that we're asking about more or less have all come from like the subcontinent into English, but um, they uh, may have come before colonialism in some cases. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting thing that I think happens for a lot of uh, at least like South Asian North Indian kids, um, where you realize so many of the words you use are a product of colonialism. 
I had this moment, like just a year ago, where I used to always think it was like the word jungly was so funny, uh-huh. which is because it sounds like, oh, like they're from the jungle. Like, why did we come up with that? It's such a funny thing that we took that from English. And then I thought about it for a sec and I was like, jungle. It sounds way more Urdu, like Desi, than it sounds uh, English. And then I looked it up and I was like, yeah, the colonizers literally took the word no jungle way. from us and put it into English. Oh, wow. And you had no, I had no idea. So we prepared this quiz, which I'm going to basically ask you which of the four words is the word that was taken from, um, in most cases, Hindi and Urdu. I'm excited. And uh, we'll, t- we'll tell you which one it is. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Okay. So number one, which of these words was taken from Hindi or Urdu? A, loot. B, foot, C, boot, D, suit, or soot, rather, or E, all of the above? Um, definitely not foot, because I can't really see that any, would it, loot? Yeah, loot, literally, it means lootna, means oh, to steal. No way, oh, and, oh yeah. And in English... Loot means like, you know, something you've stolen from somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we say like loot here to like say mm-hmm. something has been stolen. Uh, all right. Number two. Which of these following words was taken from Farsi? A. Pajamas. B. Checkmate. C. Seersucker. Or D. All of the above. Pajama. It's all three of them. No way. Yeah, all three of them come from Farsi and in some cases like Farsi to Urdu. Mm-hmm. Pajama uh, basically comes from the Persian is pajama mm-hmm. and like bow or bay in most Indo-European languages means foot. Mm-hmm. And jama means clothing. So it's your foot, you know, you pull your pajamas up through your foot. And, you know, like you've heard of like kurta pajamas yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, So that's know? why I was thinking pajama. I also had that same thing where I was like, why do we call it a pajama, kurta pajama? Like, that's so funny. Um, checkmate comes from shamat, which means the king is dead. Um, so seersucker comes from the phrase seer or sucker, which means milk and sugar. Um, and if you've ever seen seersucker fabric, uh, it's really good to wear in the summer. And it is... Uh, basically two stripes. One is white and the other one is usually blue or brown. But in this case, um, in the case of milk and sugar, the white is milk. And then the brown is the golden color of, you know, like unprocessed sugar. Wow. Um, Okay. So which of these words was not taken to English from India? A, gummerbund. B, pariah. C, khaki, or D, armada? Definitely not cummerbund and definitely not khaki. So, armada? Yep, armada comes from Spanish. Damn, you're killing it, man. (laughs) Um, The rest come from Hindi, basically. Cummerbund was also another one that I was like, what? Like, it just means, like, cummerbund means, like, close the back. Mm -hmm. You know, and you wear a cummerbund, like, you know, tuxedo. It's that thing you wear around your stomach. Um, khaki is khaki, which my, my mom, That's what my parents say. <laughs> yeah, my parents also say khaki, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is just the color. You know, yeah. it means like dust colors. Also, it's now mean to used to mean the pants as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pariah comes from the ta- the Tamil word for drummer, and oh. the drummers like weren't allowed into a um, like religious ceremonies. They were on the outside, and like a pariah, somebody who's on the outside. 
Okay. Um, we got two more, actually. <laughs> um, and this is going to be a post, by the way, that we're going to put on the website. Oh, You're the okay. first one who's getting to see the post, in, uh, you know, out loud, of course. Um, which of these words comes from Hindi or Urdu? A, cool. B, thug. C, soda. Or D, dust. Dust. It's thug. What? Yeah, it's thug. <laughs> I like the look on your face. You're like, what? Um, they was like, there was like this group of, um, there's been a lot of writing about the, the thug, but basically it was this um, group of people that the British and like Indian colonial government really disliked because they would um, steal from, pe- from travelers. They were called thuggies in some case. Um, and they had a campaign against them and tried to eliminate the thuggies. And it's not clear if it's like a group of like outlaws or if it was like actually maybe like an ethnic group that got their lives by like robbing uh, caravans. But that's how it came to English. Wow, the real thug life came from colonial India. <laughs> the real thug life came from colonial India. Um, all right, we got one last one. And, you know. Better make this count. So which of these words was taken from Hindi? A, shampoo. B, mirage. C, foreign, or D, lychee? Lychee. It's shampoo. What? Yeah, right? My second guess was mirage. Um, I know it sounds like it's so Hindi-ish, but shampoo, uh, like basically when people would get haircuts, um, they would get a massage afterwards from mm-hmm. a lot of the South Asian barbers, and they would say jampo, which means like, you know, uh, massage it, basically. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Um, and it became shampoo. And it sounds so desi too when you think shampoo. You yeah, know, it yeah, just yeah. sounds like in fact that is how I say shampoo. In my head, I most of the time say shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> what is our what does Kieran win? And how many did she get right, Megan? <laughs> she got all but two correct. We're just gonna say she got all of them right. Okay. Congratulations, <laughs> yeah. Kieran! You win at uh did the English steal these words from your people? <laughs> wow. Um, I learned a lot researching for that segment, and I realized... No, I learned a lot, too. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah, that's insane. You don't think of, like... I think what what's weird about the words is that you always think, oh, India is influenced by the English. Like, the English took us over, and they changed our culture. But you never yeah. think about the way Indians affected also... English culture and American culture as a result. You're so right, because especially, like, speaking, like, Urdu, there's just, like, a lot of words that, like, people just use the English words for that, like, there's old Urdu words for, but nobody uses them anymore because they're, like, older. Like, we say, like, plate or something, or we say, like, computer. Like, there's no, like, word we use for, you know? Yeah. Like, an actual Urdu word. It's so often where, like, I will be trying to speak Urdu with somebody, and I'll say, you know, how do you say TV? And they'll be like, TV or Peewee, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's 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 incre- even more increasingly common past uh, like colonialism that English has become more part of mm-hmm. of of Urdu. Um, whereas before, like I think people would use like Persian and Arabic words, yeah. like you're pointing out. Um, but English is just as influenced. You know what I mean? Wow. Think about 300 years owning people. You know, <laughs> you're gonna steal some things from them, and they're not gonna know. You know? Wow. So pretty crazy. So before we go, I have one last question. Uh, your name on Twitter is Gothistani. The best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. <laughs> East meets West. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a little bit of thug from the West, a little bit of thug from the East. Um, That's so perfect. How can I be more goth? I'm way too sunny. But I'm like... I want to I dress in black and be a badass and talk about how bitter I am about colonialism. 
how do I do? How do I get like you? Oh my god! <laughs> um, how do you do it? How do I do it? I don't know. It just uh, maybe just like the teen angst and the bitterness just kind of channel through me. I really don't know. <laughs> I just bring it to every aspect of life, not just um, colonialism. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Like imagine like um when people were like protesting like like um English colonization like you know people would be like really rowdy and angry and everything and like imagine me just like dressed in all black like writing <laughs> like angry dark poetry about like <laughs> the Englishman like <laughs> stealing from our people we should have never given them shampoo On- <laughs> <laughs> um Karen where can people follow you on the internet. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Gothistani. You can also follow me on Instagram with the same handle, Gothistani. Um, yeah, the best of both worlds, Goth and Pakistan. <laughs> Very different. Thank you for coming on the show, Kieran. Thanks so much for having me, Emma. It was so good to have you. This episode was produced by Eleanor Kagan, Megan Dietrich, and Meg Kramer. Additional production support from Dabir Akhtar, Julia Ferlin, and Nina Patak. Our music is by The Caminas. Find them at caminas.bandcamp.com. You can find me on Twitter at radbrowndads, and I have a Tumblr also called radbrowndads. Find my writing at buzzfeed.com, the website. Sign up for our newsletter at buzzfeed.com slash see something, say something slash newsletter. Email us at saysomethingatbuzzfeed.com or check out our videos on our Facebook page, um, which is see something, say something, or follow us on Twitter at see something. We have a lot of social media. And if you like the show, please rate it on iTunes. I'm Amadal Yusper. Thanks for listening.